was it your daughter that kind of motivated you to do it? Absolutely or? not. <laughs> <laughs> she came. Uh, she came to the game a little bit uh, shortly after I came back. Um, the abbreviated version, if there is one, is uh, an actor by the name of Abraham Ben Ruby. Um, he's a very tall actor. He was on ER. A lovely, lovely gentleman. He, um, I was at an audition, I want to say 2012-ish, and he was like, oh, I'm so tired, I was going to play in D&D, &D. and I hadn't heard the words uttered since I was 13. I didn't really think about the game. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I left it hard because of the satanic panic, it gave away all my books, I just never looked back. And then I got busy with high school and college and pursuing my career, I didn't even think about Dungeons and Dragons forever. Uh... And then um, around 2012, I heard him say this. I'm like, what? Adults are playing Dungeons and Dragons? He goes, oh, yeah, me and Lillard have a game going, and we were up, we were up late playing. I'm like, uh, so I just went home that night, and I went on eBay, and I ordered all my, uh, ordered all my books back mm -hmm. just so I could smell them again, right. just so I could yeah. live in that joy that remembering that youthful yeah. uh, nostalgia, just at least to look at all the, you know, the, the drawings, uh, the Trampier drawing, the, uh, the, all the, um, Errol Otis and all of those, Jeff Easley, all of those, uh, great artists that, that D and D came known for. And, um, but I still remember to play with. And around 2015, I was like, all right, enough is enough. I want to play D&D again. And I put it on Facebook. And my buddy, Yuri Lowenthal, uh, he, uh, he knocks on my door an hour later. And he goes, happy birthday. And he's holding the, the starter kit. He goes, I want to play too. Happy birthday. And he hands me the starter kit. I'm like, I love this. So, so we vowed that we were going to get a D&D game together. And uh, I booked 12 Monkeys and left town. So for like three-ish years. But in that time, I met uh, David Nett, uh, who uh, was my trainer for for 12 Monkeys Season 3. Um, and David was like, I'll DM a game for you once you finish your run on, uh, your run on um, 12 Monkeys. And so late 2017, started gearing it up. Early 2018... Started playing. That game has now been running for five years. Really? So you guys just dip back into it every once in a while? No, we, once a month. Really? Once I, a month. I usually have about four games a month. Really? Three that I run. or Yeah, three that I run and one that I'm a player at. And that's and then I do assorted uh, online charity events and stuff. Yeah, you sent me a video of, uh, of, of a whole... D&D &D game that you guys did. That was David running it, I was believe. That, that was probably... Was that Always a Sword? Was Deborah yes. Wall in that it one? had the wonderful... Uh, great set. Yeah, yeah, that was so great. Yeah, oh, yeah. That's amazing. Um, so I got a question for you. So when you were first deciding to become an actor, you kind of had this whole thing where you thought maybe you were going to be a graphic designer. I did. And so let me ask you this interesting question. Um, what do you think your life would be like if you had gone that way instead of being an actor? Because you were going to do animation, you were even thinking about it. Yeah, I was a cartoonist. I was like, you know, I was always the kid drawing. Um, I was always drawing all the like Star Wars characters and stuff, and I was always like drawing Garfield and Snoopy and Popeye and all of that. I was going to be a cartoonist. Uh, what would my life be like? I I don't 
No, because I only am living this one. So speculatively, uh, it's a completely different field. It's a completely different pursuit. I didn't want to be an animator. Yeah. I want to be a cartoonist. Okay. Yeah. So I wanted to draw yeah. comics and stuff like that. Um, and so I... Uh, but I couldn't handle getting notes on my art. I didn't like, I didn't like uh, people noting me. Yeah. Like it was the inside of my head. I'm like, that's this is came out the way I wanted it to, and I was stubborn. Uh, but I loved acting because I was doing plays and stuff mm -hmm. and doing again playing with action figures as a kid, always telling stories and characters uh, since I was wee, and. Um, and so I think, I think uh, ultimately it just ended up winning the tug of war in my soul, yeah. uh, acting one out uh, around my junior year of high school. Oh wow! Is when I stopped focusing on drawing and going the other way and going into theater. And yeah. Your parents were obviously really supportive. Super of supportive, you. yeah. And uh, so it must have made it easier. I mean. If I would have said I was going to be an actor, I think my parents would have shot themselves. <laughs> so you must have had great support when you said, "Hey, this is what I want." Well, to I do. think you know it's it's. I think growing up, my father specifically, who was not nerdy, mm. um, was always looking for a route into understanding his son. So. He wouldn't play D&D &D with me, but he would build me a box to keep all my D&D &D stuff in. Or, uh, you know, supporting me in that way. And then when I started doing theater and stand-up and Second City, I think he completely keyed in and was like, oh, I know what that is. Like, I watch TV. I know what Second City is. I know what comedy is. I know what all of this is. Um and they could they could bring friends to, sh to plays that I was in, and so it became a very public uh, support system, kind of like being a football kid, right. where your parents come to the games. It was very similar, uh, and and he could get his mind around because he did plays when he was in in high school and such. And my mom was a singer and she did water ballet, so they understood the performing aspect of of the calling, you know. <laughs> That's great. They didn't want to do it themselves professionally, but they, they certainly had a flair for uh, understanding drama, understanding theater and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. Yeah, they had a background almost in it. They, well, I mean, they did plays in high school and stuff, and my dad did anyway. I don't know if my mom did, but my mom would always be... I, she sang and stuff like that. So, again, it was it was never... It wasn't like a foreign idea to right. say, hey, and they watch TV, so they, they're like, they were big fans of television, so yeah. they were like, I know what that is, and if my boy wants to do that, hey, you know, you only go around the block once. What did they think when you, uh, when they found out you were getting an SNL audition? That was, uh... Because at that, that time, it was, yeah, it was Carvey, 95, it was Mike Myers. 95, was, that was the end of that. It was, yeah. I mean, it was already Farley and those cats. Uh, right, yeah. Uh, 95 was the year that Will Ferrell got hired, that right, yeah. Cherry O'Terry got hired, Molly Shannon, I believe, was there already, Chris Kattan, Jim great. Brewer. Yeah, they were thrilled. I mean, they had already, again, seen the, the trajectory, I guess, because I was doing Second City at the time, and that's what segued me into SNL. Yeah. Yeah. Um, why do you think, you know, why do you think you didn't get, get, the, get the part? 
Um, well, well, because you're obviously really talented. Well, very kind. I, um, I think, well, I think, uh, Jim Brewer Mm -hmm. filled the slot of like new brown haired guy. Got it. Uh, and he probably walked in with goat boy and with Mm -hmm. Joe Pesci and like, just kind of, there was sort of this declaration of, uh, independence with Mm -hmm. that. You know what I mean? That makes sense. yeah. Yeah. Um, so you said criticism on your art. What do you ever get criticism on your acting? Oh, yeah. Um, I don't care. It doesn't bother you. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 it's harder to get criticism on your writing because yeah. that's coming from my soul. My acting, um, I think my favorite piece of criticism was uh, I saw when I was doing the riches. They go, they should kill that guy off. He's ugly. <laughs> oh, really? Like, oh, all right. They should alter their story because we don't like his appearance. Um, I just thought that was very funny. It just yeah. makes me laugh. Yeah. What do you think is the What do you think is the key? Like you've done so much, so many parts. When you look at your IMDb, um, one of my favorite. I love that you're in Boston Legal. I think the the, the with Diddy Cray. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, well, I didn't work with him. I worked with uh, James Spader. Right. It's almost like you're a working man's actor in a way. You've done so many different things. Well, it's a profession. I mean, yeah. it's it's a like any other profession. You want it to be long and varied. Um, you had a question, though, in there. And no, it was just a sort of statement. Um, yeah, I don't understand what the what the phrase "working man's actor" means, other than it's a job and everyone works in it. Right. You know what I mean? It's well, it's a, it's a being, craft. As opposed to being like uh, you know, being on a show for ten years. You know, was the goal to do a lot of different things, or did you? Oh, well, did you well the fact that I've been that shows have been on, that haven't been on for ten years is is not up to me, right? right? The 12 Monkeys ran for four. Which was perfect time. Uh, the uh, the uh, riches got yanked after a, a season and a half. Yeah. So could that have run for five years? Sure. I uh, I wouldn't have said no. So, okay. I, you know, we don't pick... You know, I just heard this great interview with Steven Spielberg. And he's talking about... Uh, he was talking about when Lucas had a film that would come out, he would go to Hawaii... Before the reviews, because he's like, if you're going to get bad news, get it in Hawaii, right? And they had this thing called Lucky Sandcastles, where where Lucas would go to the beach and he would build a sandcastle, mm-hmm. and then overnight, if the if the tide didn't destroy the sandcastle, then uh, the movie will be a success. Sort of a little superstitious. Yeah. And and I love the idea that you just like you spend a lot of time, you craft something, you make it. You have zero control of how it's going to be received. Mm-hmm. You can't decide on some, what's going to be a hit. You don't know. And and I think it's fool's errand to to um, think you can predict what the audience will like. Because you just don't. You just don't know what they're going to respond to, what they're, how things are going to resonate. You just don't know. And so all you can do, the only area you have control over is in the writing. You have control over the performance. That's where you have control. And so you hopefully shoot from the heart and hope people resonate. Like you hope it resonates with them. Um, so when you go back to the, your question of a journeyman actor or a working man, a working, I don't know the phrase you use. Yeah, working man. Journeyman. Working man. Um it's all a journey if you're doing a, a show for 10 years or if you're doing 10 shows in 10 years. Um, 
I did not set out. I just set out to be employed. Mm. Do you know what I mean? But you did quickly. Yeah, that, it, it yeah. came rather quick. I was hired to Second City at 23. Yeah. Um, Even trying to just move out here, you got... Well, I, I was a little strategic about that. I didn't move to any city I didn't have an agent in waiting for me. So I would always kind of... Before I left Chicago, after I got the SNL audition, there were there were agents in New York that were like, hey, uh, why don't you come and interview with us? I'm awesome. So I didn't move to New York without an agent there to put set me out for things. And then... When I came out to L.A., I picked an agent in New York that had a bi-coastal representation. So by the time I was coming out for pilot season, I had an agent out here in L.A. rooting for me, sending me out and stuff. So I never did the uh, just jump off a bus and see what happens. Right. Uh, even in Chicago, when I got out of college, I got a job at uh, tearing tickets at Second City Northwest mm. and taking classes there so that... When I wanted to move downtown Chicago, I knew there would be a job, just a, a bread and butter job waiting for me where I would be watching improv, watching sketch, bartending, waiting tables, uh, tearing tickets, seating the room, and doing that, uh, a, a wonderful performer named Holly Wartell, when I was a, 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 a student at Loyola University, she was in the training company of Second City. Very funny woman. Uh, I saw her, and we watched the show, and I was like, drinking everything I can because I, I just want to be Bill Murray. It's all I've ever wanted right. to be. Uh, I just want to be a Ghostbuster. You saw my pack. Uh, yeah. And so uh, I just asked Holly, like, how do you get into Second City? I think I was all of 17. Mm. And she goes, get a job there. Like, get a job. So you're watching the shows and you're yeah. soaking it in and you're, you know, putting in your 10,000 hours of observation while you're taking classes and right. studying. Um, and so I... That was that I was just hell bent for leather. Like all through college, when you get out, you go and you get a job, tearing tickets to Second City. Yeah. Just do that. Just get in the ground level and like join the circus, man. And so, just get in the door, right? Yeah. And so, and that was all with the goal of going someday. I want to do Saturday Night Live because mm. I wanted to be. That going, was the end game. At, ultimately, yeah. uh, at twenty three, that was the end game. Right. Was because I wanted to be on SNL, yeah. and then Saturday Night Live. Uh, often pulled their talent from Second City. And so I wanted to put myself in that position that people would see me. Yeah. And then I came out here in 2000 to find a place to live. And one of my first jobs was on Angel. Right. And uh, that sort of opened up the door to doing genre, which is what I watched anyway. Right. I was a Star Wars kid. I was a Ghostbusters kid. I was an Empire Strikes Back, Star Trek all of it, Raiders of Lost Ark. I was, I was the, the cliche, Stranger Things, nerdy 80s right, right. kid, mm -hmm. as you can see. Yes. And so, um, yeah, like, th that was always the goal, was to, and Ghostbusters was perfect, because it was comedy and it was sci-fi. Yeah. Uh, and horror. Like, it's just yeah, kind it's of a, a perfect little film. So, um, after SNL didn't happen, so then what? So, like, you say, all right, now we Right. Uh, well, I hadn't moved to New York yet, but but I had an agent saying, it's time to leave Chicago. I said, great. I had done all the things that I'd set out to do in Chicago. I had written shows for Second City. I had that on my resume. I had those experiences, made all those friends, and now it's time to, to move to New York because I always wanted to live in New York. So I lived there for five years doing um, experimental theater with 
experimental improv uh, with a group called Bar Manhattan. And we were slugging it out in the Lower East Side in black box theaters for 30 people on Friday nights. And then we would go have go have a whiskey and a smoke. Uh, I don't smoke anymore. Kids don't smoke. <laughs> Maybe a little whiskey, though. Uh, uh, still do the whiskey. Um <laughs> But uh, those were uh, those like that was my mid twenties. So I moved. I moved to. I moved to New York when I was twenty seven, and um, it was uh, it was stunning. Twenty seven. I moved there in ninety five. So twenty seven going on. Wait. Come on, Todd. Yeah, twenty seven. I was twenty seven. I was probably twenty six going on twenty seven, ish, because I moved in October. Uh, Very important details. Um, and so, uh, then it was like, okay, not, if it's not SNL, I want to do a half hour sitcom. Cause this was the height of friends and the height of Will and Grace. And, right. and I just want to do a half hour sitcom, which I did. Yeah. Uh, Sean Hayes and I went to college together. And oh, really? so he helped that introduction to that casting people. And That's he, cool. he's always been, uh, Love that show. A, a great uh, supporter and he's a lovely guy. Uh, so then I was like, I just want to do half-hour sitcoms. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm going to do. And I came out to L.A. and I booked several half-hour pilots uh, that didn't go to series. One of my first jobs wasn't a sitcom. It was like a YA with uh, Catherine Town and Jared Padalecki, a oh, 17-year-old yeah. Jared. Really? It was called, yeah, it was called Close to Home. Uh, and uh, that was one of my earliest jobs. And then I booked multi-camera sitcoms that didn't get picked up for series. I've done, like, this sounds weird because there's a band called it, but I've done 21 pilots. Really? Yeah. yeah. That never got picked up for series. Wait, no. Two of them might have got picked up. The Riches was picked up. Something else. Uh, it's old. I get old. That Foggy be, break. Well, you've done a lot. You know, it's, yeah. it's amazing how much... But that was the goal, was half hour. Just to, to come in and do the sitcoms. Because, I mean... I know you got this whole comedy drama thing going. Yeah, kind of came from comedy, but you've done a lot of drama. Yeah, what do you? you, I don't want to say what you prefer, but what's your? Is is a mix of that your favorite? Yeah, I think so. I think um, bringing comedy to a drama uh, makes for an interesting character Mm -hmm. Um, because life is absurd, and 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 I like being the character that kind of sees that absurdity, and can comment on it. Um, I like drama because uh, the characters arc and they change over the course of a show, a series. Uh, I like comedy because I like the mental gymnastics of figuring out the math of the timing of how the joke works. And when you get really good sitcom writing, when you think about the greats, like, you know, Norman, Norman Lear and, Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, if you go all the way yeah. back, just to just the odd couple right. uh, when odd and couple. and like Neil Simon and like you go back to all of those. Like I watch Ms. Maisel, and I'm like, oh, I just want to do that show. Oh, that's cool. I, I don't know if you watch it, Mrs. Maisel. Yeah. It's brilliant. It's like every week is like a Neil Simon play, mm-hmm. and it's just patter, rapid fire, sharp turns. I love that stuff because it's a great workout Mm. it's a great mental workout drama i like because uh like i said the characters can grow and arc and change and over the course and like where deacon began on 12 monkeys as to where he ended is just the breadth of of what they wrote for me was huge yeah and 
Okay, even so, with uh, even with this too. Right. So this is what I wanted to get into with you because I think that you're filling a gap in in uh, in acting and in content and in entertainment that we get that is totally interesting. Like your characters have this flavor to them. Um, it's I don't want to say it's sarcastic or salty. Salty. Yeah. yeah. And it's this it's this wonderful thing. And I noticed that that Captain Shaw and Deacon kind of have almost a, a little bit of the same flavor. Do you... Well, they have the same pilot. <laughs> is, that, is that what it is? I mean, yeah. I mean, it's 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 me serving the meal, right? Right, right. So that is a consistency. Yeah. We, we, we watched... You had the rest of the question. There was something that you were driving towards and I interrupted you. Oh, that's um, good. Uh, we watched Undiscovered Country last night. Mm. And I was like... I was like... Because... Somebody asked me what it takes, what, what is it that makes him a great captain? I think Robert yeah. asked Did he ask that question? Yes, he did. Yeah, what makes a great captain? I'm like, I can't answer that because great is determined by other people, right? Yeah. Uh, I think the captains that I find memorable mm -hmm. are the ones that really bring themselves to the role. Yeah. You can hear the the voice of the performer underneath mm -hmm. the actor, and I look at I look at kind of handsome out like there's fairies about right. Um, Anson Mount is uh, fantastic as Pike. Uh, he's fantastic as Pike, and and again I came up with Kirk and I came up with uh, came up with Picard, and, and vastly different. I probably air more in the Pike Kirk. Mm. Uh, there's a little, there's a little swagger and scoundrel to them. Yeah. Um, but the way he sees, you know, the rules and efficiency of Starfleet, there's, there's some more Picard in him in terms of his military stance on how you run a ship. Yes. Uh, uh, but in style and performance, I think, uh, I air in the, the Pike, uh, Kirk world. Um, but I think what makes a memorable captain is, and the memorable character, not just captains, but a memorable character is when the, when the actor brings their thing. Yeah. What's their thing? How do they spin these plates? You right. know, and, and I only spin plates the way I spin them. And, and hopefully people want that, want yeah. to keep hiring me to do that. Um, and at the same time, in terms of makeup, psychological makeup, Deacon and 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 Deacon and uh, and and Shaw are worlds apart. Right. Like their worldview are worlds apart. Their the core of who they are are vastly different people. Right. Uh, their experiences clearly are completely different. But both. there's a roguishness, I yeah. think, to both characters. Yeah. That tend to bring to I like that. Characters. I like those. Again, I like, I, I grew up wanting to be Bill Murray, Han Solo. Yeah. Even even Tom Hanks always had a bit of, like, mischief yes. and twinkle underneath what he's doing. Yeah. Provocateurs. Yeah, that's the I part. love provocateurs. Yeah. Uh, Bugs Bunny. Bugs, uh, yeah. I love, I love people that kind of poke the eye of authority a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, but... They're deft enough to not really get caught doing it. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? You still, well, I think you nailed Bugs Bunny perfectly. Bugs Bunny is a shit, but you love him. 
you just can't help it. And which gets me to Shaw. And it's the first time I've ever run into a captain that I kind of couldn't stand <laughs> and then ended up loving. Welcome to my wheelhouse. Yeah. Yes, dude. Yeah. I mean, like. That's I, what I do. It's amazing how you pull that off because, oh, uh, and, and I got to tell you, you steal Picard season three. Oh, good Lord. So, and I, and I listen. That's, that is high praise that uh, uh, I, uh, uh, you know what? Don't interrupt the man. That's right. You might as well keep it going. <laughs> um, you know, I think one of the things about Star Trek, and we can go back because you know we're we have our criticisms of New Trek, you know, and um, and so one of the things that we love about Picard season three is we feel like it's a kind of a return to Berman era Star Trek in a way. And I think yeah, it has that Nick job. Nick Myers uh, yeah. flavor. Definitely, Terry's done, Terry's done a great job of like getting that feel back to yeah. it. And so, but the element of seriousness, of, of drama, the fact that you can come in and break that up, and then as you go through the series, there's this, the, the humor that you bring throughout the series gives us just enough lightness to kind of, you know, air the whole thing out. Yeah, he, he gets to be a little bit of a Greek chorus. Right. Um, and he gets to, he gets to not only, like, poke the eye of these legends, mm -hmm. he also gets to wink at the franchise as a whole without getting meta. Yeah. Uh, he's just so not impressed with them. Right. Which is what I love about him. So he's awesome. just not impressed. And that actually helped, you know, in doing the show itself. Like, yeah. the character getting to step on set with these legends. And I had worked with, uh, with Frakes before. Mm -hmm. uh, but I had not met... That's not true. I, I had met Brent Spiner when I had had a few at Comic-Con once, and he was kind <laughs> enough to post for a picture with me on an aircraft carrier cool. where, like, Shatner was landed in a helicopter because Shatner. Shatner. Uh, but he's a bit of a Greek chorus. Mm -hmm. He's the guy that goes, can you believe this? Like, he's that guy who gets to look at, like, the absurdity of things that are going on and go, can you believe, like, what? We're doing what? Okay, like yeah. he suffers through it. He's a bit beleaguered. Right. Uh, he's tired, mm -hmm. but he also isn't wrong. <laughs> right, that's a good point. So, what was it like being, you know, working with Patrick Stewart and just kind of the whole being in the gang? What What did it feel like to you to be in that experience? It. I was very, very fortunate that. Uh, the pump was primed for me, like when I got there, because again, Frakes, I had uh, I had a, a, a friendship and a working relationship with. Uh, we didn't know each other well, just working. We'd worked together, mm -hmm. and I'd seen him since I had worked on some things with him, and we always got on like we are cut from the same cloth, and uh, that is the greatest thing to come out of this is, is to meet people that I think will be lifelong friends. But so when I got to set, Terry uh, had already like said, Hey, my buddy Todd's coming in. Da, 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 da. And so, so I walked into a very warm room. Uh, and, and as opposed to often as a guest star, you're like, I don't want to upset the furniture. This was like, well, this is your bridge. So own it. And, uh, this is your ship, so own it. And people let me do it. Like, they were like, you're the captain of this ship, and so you get to be that. And then Todd, as a performer, uh, 
Jerry was so well, everyone was so welcoming. Like they were just so kind and so fun. And uh, they were happy to be playing with each other again. And they did not treat me like the new guy. They treat me like, come on in. You're one of the family. It was wonderful. So do you get invites to the uh, their now famous get-togethers, or you think that's going to happen? Well, I the the one that uh, the one that 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 happened at Christmas. It's funny because we didn't reveal my character for uh, till Til like a week ago, right? Um, and so I'd always see like Comic Con, I'd see all these events, uh, and I, I always felt like, oh, my family's having a party without me, uh, and so so I have had to lay low. Uh, Per the uh, you know the 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 dictums that came down from Paramount, yeah. uh, so I have had to kind of keep my head down. But there will be gatherings in the future. I have already uh, got a table set up to play D and D, and Jerry has promised, and uh, Mika Burton's coming, and uh, and uh, and Will okay. Wheaton wants yeah. to roll dice, and so yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna put together a Trek D and D table. Uh, that'll be fun. Yeah, they'll be fun. Yeah, so yeah, these are these are people that uh, again, you know, you meet a person and you feel like you've you've had the opportunity to know them a long time. Forever, yeah. 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 But so, I, I I was fortunate that the path was laid out for me. Speaking of uh, people you've known for a long time, tell us the Terry Matala story. Where did that start? Oh, tale as old as time. <laughs> um, Terry and I. We didn't meet on Enterprise, yeah. which is, but we may have. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, remember. we were on the same set together, right. but we never, I, we never met. I met Terry when I went in to audition for Twelve Monkeys, mm. and uh, he was very kind. He was a fan of the Riches, and so uh, again, walking into a warm room where people are like, "Oh, please come, do your thing. Yeah. You're invited to the table to do your thing," and then. I remember, and the character as written was the sort of Ed Harris type, this right. kind of marine, uh, roughneck-feeling character. And I'm like, well, that's not what I do. And, and if they're calling me to audition for this, I have to bring to the table my jam. And so I did my thing. Again, I just did some semblance of Bill Murray. And, uh, you know, um, and... Uh, and I think uh, there's a moment where, where Deacon introduces himself to Cole. Mm -hmm. And then he goes, I'm Cole. And I go, I'm Deacon. But I think in my audition, instead of shaking a hand, because it, it was a reader, I curtsied. And Terry's like, that's when you got the part. He's like, when you curtsied, that's when I know, like, this is the guy. Um, and then they had machinations to, uh, so then I went and did, uh, I, I technically did four episodes, but I really did two. Mm -hmm. Uh, because I was just the tag on the end of two other episodes, and then I acted fully in two episodes. So I was in four episodes of season one, and then they had ideas to expand the uh, ensemble, and he was like, hey, we've got so many ideas for Deacon for season two. I'm like, do tell. Mm -hmm. uh, and he was like, um, and then he immediately called casting and said, make that a series regular. And I was like, wow, this is the best breakfast I've ever had. I mean, he literally texted casting while we were sitting, and he was pitching me what he wanted to do with Deacon for season two. And that launched this collaboration uh, going forward. And we um, we just, we we get each other, and I get to, you know, 
he understands like how to use what I do and I get to do what he writes. Mm-hmm. And and I also again and, and Picard was populated by a bunch of Twelve Monkeys writers. So Chris Monfett and Sean Tretta and so these guys you know, I am not the character, like we are the character. Mm-hmm. Uh they created this they created Deacon, they created Shaw. I come in there, I bring, you know, flavor. my flavor to it, and then things shift and change and you go, okay, let's even more make it, let's make this, let's harmonize, let's make this song work, let's write to what you do and then together we now make this character. Uh, And so again, I've been fortunate to have a working relationship uh, with Terry since 2014. Wow. Yeah, so almost a decade. So what made him say, you know, I got to have Todd. I don't know. I wasn't in on that conversation. You guys haven't talked about it since? No, you know, I think there was a role that he had had me in mind for, for season two that didn't pan out. Thank God. Yeah, good Lord. I don't know why I'm knocking on wood because I don't know what you, what, what's the superstition for, I'm so glad that that didn't happen is, what's the phrase, dodge the bullet? I don't know. I don't know. I I didn't dodge a bullet. The the actor they cast was wonderful. Like, (laughs) so, uh, well, but it, I, I, what I would say is, um, you know, the, 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 the river of destiny flowed differently. Yeah. And so uh, I feel like, well, I'm, I'm super glad that that, was, that role was not the one for me. And, and this opportunity came up. I don't know. They knew they wanted somebody that would butt heads with... Uh, with with the legends yeah. and um, and so I guess he was starting to call Captain Stashwick in the writer's room and then he came to me and said hey uh, we got this part for you on Picard season 3 and then my joke is I, you know, I was like well that's great I can't wait to get to see who plays it because you know 9 times out of 10 in this town when you hear this role was written for you it just doesn't always the way the system works doesn't always work that you're the one who gets to play it. And so politics. as a, a, a man of his, I don't even know if politics or if things shift. I have been the guy that's gotten the part that was written for somebody else in other times. It's just oh, it's the, 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 the casting process, the whatever that actor's busy. It's just like, there's a, there's a thousand things that, that go into it. And uh, somehow I threaded this needle and got this role. And so, uh, he said this to me and I was like, all right. He's like, just sit tight. We just, you know, there's some hoops that have to be jumped through in terms of paperwork and us clearing uh, our casting and finishing out all of our casting. And lo and behold, I think late August of 2021, mm-hmm. he was a man of his word and the offer came through and I was finding myself being fitted for my Starfleet uniform. That is so badass. Yeah. What did it feel like putting that uniform on? <sighs> It's surreal, right? It's surreal. Because it wasn't cosplay. And it's like when I did Enterprise. Mm-hmm. And they fitted me for my ears and they put my eyebrows on and they this. And I'm in my silver jumpsuit and I've got my Lirpa and I'm standing on Vulcan. I'm like, it doesn't feel any different than playing it in your backyard. Except this has been blessed. Like, this is the real deal. It's you're officially on Vulcan and you are a Romulan and you're officially on the bridge of the Titan and you are the captain. And you know, it's, 
it's all the it's all the dreams you dream of when you're playing in your backyard and you're playing with the kids, right? And and you're and you're ten years older and you're playing with your action figures, all that, right? And then you're just going. So it was never lost on me when I was actually doing it. It was never lost. On me. This is why the role's so good because your heart's in it. It's really, it shows through. And yeah. For Shaw, you know, um, we we know in the beginning that he's he's kind of he doesn't really love these legends but then later on you find out why which we won't talk about spoil at this moment but there's a really good reason why shaw is feeling the way he's feeling and pain uh, comes from someplace it does and i think you really tapped into that without giving away too much um would you like to see this storyline continue of course people that are in it of course yeah. i mean i i, I you know and, and i've said before like if there is if there is more story to tell uh, I'd be happy to tell it. If uh, if this is all I get to say, man, that's a great, what a ride. You did it. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. What a ride. Yeah. So I, I am cool either way. I am cool either way. Like, it's already been, you know, checked off so many of the boxes and, and bucket lists and all of it and, and the, relationships and friendships I made and, 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 and again, nobody's even really seen it yet. And the, and the kindness that has come from it, from the fan base and, 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 uh, you know, being a fan of things myself, I, I, I know the, the love that people have for a, a product and my job is just to be the best custodian of that as I can, you know, and, and, and respect respect what it is that you're that you're carrying mm. you know and at the same time try to do something wholly yours yeah like bring to the work the best work you can bring to it and uh and all that like you said all the heart and love that you can bring to it and show up and know your lines like <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> Um, you know, the one thing we love about Terry making Star Trek, and we've been made no bones about it, we believe that we really hope that the future of Star Trek includes him making more Star Trek because huh. we feel like he's found the heart and soul of what legacy Star Trek is Yeah. Um, and, and going forward. Um, so just how do you feel about um, Terry's love for Star Trek? Can you talk a little bit about it's how? An, it's indelible, right? He, I will say... <sighs> Terry's love for story shows. And what you do see is he, he wants to, I mean, it's been a little, he wants to give people the feelings that he got from the things that he loved growing up. And so, he has, he has such an affection for a certain kind of storytelling. And it's a very romantic kind of storytelling. It's, Terry is an optimist. And Terry is, he, he's, a, he's a romantic. Uh, and I mean that in the grand sense of the term. Like, he, he loves the, when, when cinema can take you away and make you feel. Um, and make you think, and and all of that. He he's romantic, 
And, and I too am that. And so in whatever story he's choosing to tell, whether it's 12 monkeys or whatever he's, you know, putting his energy into assembling the team of the people that he trusts to also be stewards of whatever the story is, you know, that he's, he's working hard to give people the experience that, that he had as a boy, you know, it all comes from that place with me and, and him and of, I just want to carry people away the way I was carried away. You know, when I was eight years old, when I saw Star Wars, I was, I was 1974 when I was playing Star Trek mm-hmm. or Raiders and all of that stuff that gave us that feeling. And without being slavish to nostalgia, mm-hmm. trying to make something new, but in the same way that, you know what, I'm about to compare you to Steven Spielberg and George Lucas, Terry, <laughs> write this down. <laughs> this is the day. But without being so, if you look at like what Spielberg and Lucas did, they they were inspired by the serials. Uh, Lucas, you know, Spielberg was trying to make Casablanca and Lawrence of Arabia and and all of that and the things that and give people that those feelings that he had, but through a wholly new creation or through a whole new medium. And Lucas the same with Star Wars writing, you know, and and and. And again, Nicholas Meyer, like you look at Wrath of Khan and, and, and how he was, and I love motion picture. I do. It's got that lovely 2001. Yes. Uh, it's a, it's just a beautiful piece of cinema. But the sort of the, there's a lot of swash in my buckle and I love a bit of swashbuckle in my, in my grand storytelling. Um, and there's, the playfulness that came back with Wrath of Khan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think there's a joy there. So, so Terry understands, I think intrinsically how to entertain and move people and thrill people. And, and he also knows how the te- how to put together that team with, yeah. with the, with, you know, putting the writers room that he put together mm-hmm. to help, uh, craft these these stories and then the casts that he puts together and the dp that he that he hires and you know it's just funny if you look at if you look at 12 monkeys which i'm glad is getting a bit of a resurgence because people are like digging in uh it's it's track there's a captain and she's on a bridge and she has a team that does away missions and there's big bads and there is you know essentially like it's, so he was doing Trek before he did Trek. He kind of was, but he was doing Trek before he did Twelve Monkeys, because right. he worked on he worked on Enterprise and he worked on. I think he said he was a PA on Voyager. Yeah, he was a PA on Voyager. And a little that, bit of DS Nine. A little DS. So he was learning, like me, watching Second City yes. from the like just drinking it all in, all motivated from his love of these movies and these TV shows when he was a, a younger man, and he's. He's younger than me, yeah. uh, but uh, not by much. Man. He's the age I was when I got hired to Twelve Monkeys. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think forty-six, right? Yeah, like He's forty-seven, I think. 47. Now. Yeah, that's how old I was when I got hired to Twelve Monkeys. Wow. Yeah. So um, yeah, I, I got me off on a thought there, but um, so um, so Hollywood really. I mean, this is what Hollywood needs. You know, we do. You know, we're critics in a way, but. 
Um, You're this, consumers. We're consu- exactly. We're fans. Yeah. And the the experience. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Meaning you yeah. you you. You consume the entertainment, and then you have a, a, an opinion about it. Right, right. Yeah. And you we, like what you like. You don't like what you don't like. Yeah, exactly. Right. And uh, we feel like what you guys have brought to us here in Twelve Monkeys, and and in, of course in Picard season three, is is exactly what Hollywood needs. They need more of this, more heart, more story, more character driven. You know, there's a lot of things out there that are kind of weak. There's some great stuff out there, but in the science fiction genre specifically, we need more of what we've loved. Not so much Easter eggs and and uh, nostalgia for the sake of fan service, but more, let's tell the story. So Yeah, I think... Um, I think... It, it goes back to what you were saying, which is heart. Uh, I think if people are making the things... And look, it's a business. People are trying to sell T-shirts. Yeah. At, you yeah. know, uh, it's a business. Uh, this is an occupation. Uh, you bring a thing, you create it, you bring it to market, and you sell it to people because people, you know, this is how we get paid. This is how I eat. This is how, you know, Patrick makes a living. Um, that being said, it's also a passion, and I think when the when the when the filmmaker or the writer or the actor is passionate about what they're doing. Uh, you're already halfway there, right? And I think um, without being, like I said, without being nostalgic, I think there is a way to recognize the through line of the heart of all of those things that inspired you. So, you know, there's going to be a generation of people that, so Lucas was inspired by John Ford and, and, and Spielberg was inspired by, by uh, the name who directed Casablanca. It was actually Ford. That did. Ford didn't direct Casablanca. No, but I think Spielberg met Ford. Spielberg yeah, met Ford. Yeah. If you watch Fableman. Yeah. Um, uh, but, but, uh, Jamino? Oh, who directed Casablanca? My bad. I so, at any rate, uh, the uh, so Spielberg is carrying those that passion and legacy into his films. Then young Terry Metalis sees grows up with those, and then puts that kind of heart and that inspiration into his work. Ideally, somebody will you know watch Picard season three, who's fourteen or fifteen now, and be like. And by the way, my 15-year-old, uh, she has seen the first four episodes. Oh, nice. And with zero context. Yeah. She did not grow up with Star Trek. And she just was like, yeah, let's watch the next one. Let's watch the next one. Let's watch the next one. Oh, that's awesome. She could care less what dad is in. Right. Like, truly. She but that. she was just like, these are great. And so the fact that it, it somehow connected with a 15-year-old... Mm. Uh, I think there's going to be, and you have a lot of parents that like us, you know, legacy going, please child, this is, this is what I give you. Yes, I'm begging my kids to do it. Yeah, indoctrinating them. Um, They're going to grow up and and be inspired by this and want to put that kind of heart and passion into their work. And so I think, and, and the reality is, when you say we need more of it, The Spielbergs and the Lucases, they were rare, even at the time. 
which is why we still talk about them. Right. So when we say Hollywood needs more of, well, I guess Hollywood's always needed more of. Mm. It's They're not easy to come by. What we do is not easy. I mean, we do collectively. I don't mean like me as an actor. Uh, it's hard work. Like, it's time-consuming. Um, but it's it's the amount of people that are involved to create a thing is uh, it's not easy. It's not easy to make this stuff. That's why it's so, that's why I guess it, it's hard when you go to the internet and people just crap on stuff and you go, you know how hard it was to make that episode of television. Right. And then you just wiped out in three seconds. With, with, with a, a dismissive treat. You know, I, I hear people again, uh, bag on a uh, new track or whatever. And again, it's like, and yet there's somebody out there that loves it. And there's somebody out there that it will inspire them to make art. It will inspire them. Uh, and nobody is setting out to make something bad. That's a great point. Nobody's ever setting out to make something bad. Everybody hopes it's good. And and it's speaking to somebody. And it speaks to somebody, exactly. Um, I think people are responding to Picard Season 3 because I think... There is so much heart in it. It's and there's affection uh, for nostalgia. There is that old feeling that comes. Yeah, I don't think it's it's not a it's not a slavish Valentine. It's uh, and it's something new. It's a new story with Mm -hmm. new things happening again. When you like watch Wrath of Khan, these are characters who were in their fifties when they were making it. Here's a a fun tidbit: at the height of Picard's uh, captainhood, he was the age I am now. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Well, Which is fun. And that's also how old uh, how old uh, Kirk was in Wrath of Khan. Really? This is the age I was. Oh. Yeah. Little known. I didn't know that. Pretty fun. Yeah, that's great. Pretty fun. Uh, yeah. So, just real quick, Shaw's, can you just give us Shaw's philosophy? Um, we've seen now episode one, so we get to see that... He has no problem eating amongst uh, while while the legacy while the, the people watch him, and uh, and he's got his opinions. But what is his just if you can his philosophy as a Starfleet officer and and uh, what can you tell us without giving too well, much? Well, he's he's on an exploratory vessel. He's a very curious man. Um, he likes to understand how things work and operate and uh and so his curiosity uh he's also really jaded like he's got a lot of he's a jaded there how he and i differ uh i'm not a jaded person uh he's very cynical and jaded uh and that fights against his his sense of wonder and and curiosity um, but for reasons, he needs to run a tight ship. He needs to, like, pathologically needs to. <laughs> right. He needs to to keep everyone safe. Mm. That is his like his ethos is like, uh, we are going to do this job. We are going to do it exceptionally well. And I'm going to, I, I'm not going to lose a crew member. Right. Like, that is off the table. 
And so he, he white knuckles procedure because there's safety in it. And I'm not saying he's without risks. He takes risks. He, he, he's throwing himself into the great unknown. Oh, yeah. It's an exploratory vessel. Mm-hmm. So all the stuff that he did prior to meeting, it's like, he, it's not that he hasn't been in a scuffle. Mm-hmm. Like, he knows, he knows the dangers are out there, and yet he still proceeds. But he will then use Starfleet procedure as a blanket. to do the job. He had to get the job to, as a blanket. Yeah, this his conflict is, comes through with those elements, I think. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Um, but he also knows knows when to take the risks that need to be taken. He, he, he weighs his decisions very hard. He's not a very glib, from-the-hip uh, captain. Right. No. He may be presentationally. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. But. Look, if, if, you know, if... if Terry sounds the horn of Gondor. <laughs> he has my sword. Right. I think nice. fans will really respond to the season. They yeah. Are. And I think they will be like, I think they'll go, I mean, Jesus Christ, they, they gave Pike his own series after seeing him as a guest star. In two right. episodes. Yeah. Right. They, they'll listen. If they go, this is where the, the bread is buttered. Yeah. They'll listen. Uh, I saw your Terry Trek hats. hats. Oh, dude, we are so... I talked about it. I go, I want a Terry Trek hat. We thank Todd Stashwick for giving us this interview. He was incredibly kind and thoughtful, which is also a glimmer into the heart of Captain Shaw. Stashwick, as well as Shaw, gives us a lot to think about. We are excited to see what legacy both men leave on the Star Trek franchise. 